Hello listeners and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and today is the Thursday, the 5th of May, 2022. That's Children's Day, and I'm joined here in Seoul in the NK News Recording Studio by Chad O'Carroll, Andre Lankov, and Gerger Greg Vachi to talk about what we can see of North Korea when it is closed to all outside visitors. I tentatively titled this ex- this episode bordering on tourism. I like a bit of wordplay. Before we get started, I'd like to remind all listeners, please, to leave a review and a rating about this podcast wherever you can, and that is so that people can discover our episodes more easily. Spotify allows ratings but not reviews. Apple Podcasts allow both. And now that we're on YouTube, you can leave ratings or you can like and you can subscribe and you can put a comment there as well. Second, check out nknews.org and consider buying a subscription, which helps to fund the excellent journalism put out by my hardworking colleagues who are out there in the newsroom even today pounding away at the keyboards because, as Chad reminds me, news never stops. Third, Follow us at nknews.org on Twitter and me at JackoZ. And for podcast questions, suggestions, questions, and feedback, you can tweet at us or email us at podcast at nknews.org. All right, so my three guests today are Chad O'Carroll, founder of NK News and NK Pro, Gungwon University professor Andre Lankov, and making his NK News podcast debut is Greg Vazzi, a tour guide at tour guide manager with Cordio Tours, who is currently studying here in Seoul. We are here to talk about what outsiders can observe of North Korea during a time when that country is closed and inaccessible to outside visitors. Thanks for coming on the show, Chad, Greg, and Andre. Thank you. This pleasure. Thank you. Chad, would you recap for our listeners the status of travel to North Korea? What, what's going on? Why can't people go there? How long has that been the case? And how long is that likely to be the case? Yeah, so since uh, January 2020, North Korea's doors have been shut to inbound visitors, with the exception of one Air Koryo flight bringing diplomats in and out of Pyongyang in March 2020. It's part of North Korea's anti, uh, anti-epidemic protection mechanism to basically shut itself off from the outside world. And in fact, we first heard from tourist industry workers in January 2020 that this was happening. I think travel was actually the first uh, sector to be impacted, uh, followed very quickly by diplomats, humanitarian workers and cargo. Um, And so it's now been two and a half years, basically, since uh, the last foreigner has been able to set foot inside North Korea. And it doesn't look like that is going to change for quite some time. One person I know that works in the travel industry said he put a bet that it could be another 10 years mm-hmm. before we see North Korea opening up, which seems a little excessive, but I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, so that's where we are now. Uh, Andre, in the past, you and other academics and uh, researchers sometimes visited northeast China, just across the Yalu or Tumen rivers, to look at things there and talk to Chinese and North Korean people about life and trade with North Korea. What kinds of things did you learn from that? It used to be a paradise. China used to be a paradise of for every student of North Korea until roughly maybe 2012. Because border was essentially unprotected, practically non-existent. I have uh, gone to the border countless times. I was driven along the border Nobody bothered. No offenses, no anything. North Koreans largely illegally, sometimes legally, arrived to China. And in many cases, they were quite willing to talk, unlike North Koreans inside North Korea who are never open to a foreigner. 
Uh, you could arrange a lot of, I would say, very peculiar meetings in this place. Chinese didn't care. There was a great number of expats, missionaries, businessmen, diplomats, and I suppose spies who were, you know, uh, making circles over these cities. But it's ancient history. It ended 10 years ago when China began to change its attitude. Now we have fences from 2012-2013. We have far smaller number of illegally illegal migrants. They still exist, but in much smaller numbers, and are they very careful uh, because there is always a threat of extradition. So, and on the North Korean side, they are building even two rows of fences. So border is increasingly closed. And on top of that, uh, Chinese are far more careful about visitors. When I was there last time, I was sometimes followed uh, by the Chinese. And uh, so it's basically, well, good days are gone. Right. Now, what about uh, China's current uh, COVID policies? Could you go to northeast China even to look across the river if you wanted to right now? I assume it will be difficult. And right now, when we are recording this podcast, Dandun is under lockdown, Chinese-style lockdown, like it happened in Shanghai. You basically cannot get out to the street no matter what. Okay, wow, that is quite grim. All right, Greg, tell us a little bit about your experience as a tour guide to North Korea. How long did you do that? And when did it stop? So I started to travel to North Korea in 2016 as a tourist first. And then after I came back, I was so amazed by how different it was from what I expected. And it started like an intellectual process inside me that I decided that uh, if I'm going to leave my job in China, I was actually teaching English in a rural uh, boarding school. Uh, I will try to get an internship with Korea Tours. So I started to work as an intern in 2017, July, and then I became a full-time employee in November. And I led my first tour, uh, Party Foundation Day 2017. And my career as a tour leader to the DPRK uh, stopped in January 2020. Actually, I just looked up the communication between our colleagues in Pyongyang and us. So on January 21st, we received a message that because of the Hunan virus, that's how they referred to it back then. Oh, that's what North Koreans called it. Wow. Uh, like at least that colleague who okay. uh, contacted us, yeah. that they will stop uh, issuing visas for tourists from the next day on, so 22nd of January 2020. Uh, but he has to check if the border is going to remain open to Russia and if it only applies to Chinese tourists or everyone else. And then on the morning of the 22nd of January 2020, we received a message again that uh, it applies to all without exception. Uh, actually, I was supposed to go the day after uh, for a New Year tour, which was cancelled. <laughs> actually, and we had a tourist who decided to uh, actually go up to Dandong and he spent uh, and look at, you know, look at uh, uh, China, uh, the DPRK and stuff, Sinuju. And he claimed that he even get to manage like a pin. Of, oh, uh, he, he, right. In Dandong, you can uh, sometimes well, buy pins ones. on the streets. Yeah, yes, fake uh, ones. They uh, once they wanted to sell me one and then I immediately turned it around because there is a, a small hole in it if it's, uh, if it's uh, genuine. And then when I turned it uh, uh, like then, yeah, 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 but you know. <laughs> so they, they knew that... <laughs> There is some uh, uh, knowledge now here, but they still wanted to uh, uh, convince me that, yeah, but you know, it's not possible to get them, the real ones. Mm. I said, okay, then, who you are joking. So that's my history with uh, being a tour guide. And as far as the experience goes, it's uh, very in interesting. But uh, what I want to touch on now, because it's going to be a tour to South Korea, that what are the similarities between arranging a tour to the North and the South? 
Hang on, I think I've got, I've got a comment from Andre here. Yes, about these fake pins. Mm. Uh, I, when I was buying it in Dandun, I probably have lost it. I don't know where it is. Uh, the, the person who was selling me was quite honest. I said, I presume it's fake. He said, does it matter? Mm. I said, no, it doesn't. And happily bought it. Yeah. <laughs> I bought some, some pins from uh, a retired American army colonel back in uh, probably around 2004 from eBay, and I found out much, much later that they had been bought in probably Dandong uh, by Steve Tharp, who was working for that colonel at the time, and, uh, and who handed them all over to his boss, and his boss later on sold them on eBay for a tidy profit, and some of them went to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's the world. And, and that, yeah, they probably are fake. So remind me again, uh, Greg, that on the back of a real Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il pin, there is some kind of a hole, but not right through the, the no, pin. No, 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 that would be... Uh... That would be a sin. That would be a crime exactly. against the, uh, the dignity of the great leader. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, tell us a bit more about tourism. Yeah. So what I find really fascinating that how similar it can be to arrange a tour to North and South Korea. Actually, it's, it's a bit easier to the DPRK because, for example, the pricing is set by the state. So there is no much uh, playing around about it. But sometimes when uh, we want to arrange something and then... Uh, they come back with the uh, answer that it's not possible, and then I'm asking for a reason, and then you know it's only for Koreans, and that's a that's a line I hear all the time in the DPRK that it's only for Koreans, and then when we were uh, trying to uh, book uh, the Kumgangsan Kondo Hotel on the East Coast, uh, that was one of the reasons that you know it's really hard to book it because it's for Korean tourists uh, predominantly. And also there's this whole, uh, and, and that's also something I experienced in my school. I'm uh, studying Korean at the SNU, that uh, this, this strong emphasis on the uniqueness of Korean culture, and it's impossible for the outsiders to learn it and to, uh, you know, to become a kind of a fake Korean. Uh, and also it's like, that's how they came back with the Minbak, that, you know, foreigners won't like it. Uh, we should find something else, we'll not stay overnight. But also sometimes the narrative, of course, the narrative is very different, but there are some uh, phrases, phrases which, which come back. I was uh, on a free tour uh, in Seoul November last year, and when uh, the tour guide was talking about King Sejong and uh, to what extent uh, he liked the people of Korea, etc., etc., the way she put it was exactly the same, even the wording and the intonation as when our North Korean uh, colleagues are talking about Kim Il-sung and how they like the people of Korea. Because King Sejong is not popular in North Korea, right? He's a Chosun dynasty king, therefore he's bad, right? Everything Chosun is bad, everything Koryo is good. Now, the, some of the Koryo kings are okay, mm -hmm. but the Chosun kings are all bad. Even though they kept the name of Chosun. Even though they kept the name of Chosun, and even though they still use the, uh, the Chosun gul, the hangul, the alphabet mm. invented by King Sejong, King Sejong himself, not a good man. You won't find him on the North Korean money. But excuse me for a moment, actually I have a very nice story about it. So mm -hmm. it's Choson Dynasty. So if you go to Kaesong, uh, there is the bridge where the Choson Dynasty started by a, a betrayal. Because that's why they really hate, as, correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason why North Koreans really hate the Choson Dynasty because it's all based on selling out or like a betrayal. So uh, when visited uh, the, the, the bridge, uh, on the way back to Pyongyang, our kite is called Mr. Ri. And the founder of Chosun Dynasty is also uh, bearing the same name, Ri. And he was saying the story that like when he was a kid, 
he uh, was uh, so angry about him that he asked his father if uh, if they are related at all because i don't want to be you know the descendant of this uh, terrible man and then when uh, we had a one korea tour uh, we went to north korea and then uh, visited seoul and the dmc from here uh, we went to the war memorial in seoul and there was a very old lady actually she lived through uh, the occupation of seoul Uh, during the Korean War, ah. and her very first sentence was that she is, the, I don't know how many, uh, descendant of uh, that Ri, mm. King Ri, who found, he's the founder of the Joseon dynasty. Right, wow. Now, I, I want uh, to be fair, I want to point something interesting out, that you said uh, in North Korea, many things are off limits to foreigners, therefore Koreans only. Uh, since we're talking about uh, tourism in South Korea related to North Korea, which often involves a demilitarized zone, Uh, I used to work as a tour guide on the American military base here in Yongsan. And whenever we were selling a tour to the JSA, we had to uh, disappoint every Korean who came there that they're for foreigners only. The JSA tours are not able to be sold to Koreans. They're only for foreigners. And in order to get a Korean to go on one of those tours, they have to first receive permission from the Ministry of Unification. So it's the exact opposite. Yeah, but it's changed in 2019, as far as I know. That is true. This was 10 years ago that I was working there, but it, for, for, for decades, until mm, yep. 2019, it's only three years ago, for decades, it was these tours are for foreigners only, not for Koreans. Uh, I, I think the assumption was that Koreans would somehow uh, misbehave more than foreigners would at the JSA, maybe uh, protest or run to North Korea or say something bad about Kim Il-sung. So. However, the peace trail which opened up after the 2018 summit was only for Koreans. R remind us what the peace trail is. So the peace trail is basically like a, a trail around the DMZ. Uh, it's much in the nature. I think it's all, all along the fence, uh, which became an av available tour uh, for uh, South Koreans. And actually, when I uh, first visited, for, for one of the few sites we were going to visit on the tour in 2018, August, we were initially trying to go on these peace trail tours. But uh, during the application process, it became very obvious that it's only for South Koreans. What were you saying, Chad? Oh, yeah. Well, it's just like a hiking track. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, these rules about nationalities are quite curious. I'm not aware, really, of any tourist sites in the United Kingdom where it is based on passport, where you can go. Um, so I don't really Ah, know. but England's not at war with Scotland. If it were... <laughs> If it were, what yeah. about around the Irish border then? Well, I, likewise, I have not ever been forced to show my passport when going to. Although, if you visit the Hungarian Parliament, uh, you have mm. to show your ID, or there's a special card for overseas Hungarians, and then yeah. the entry is free. Yeah. And I wasn't able to visit the United Nations building in New York City because I didn't have my passport with me. Uh, Greg, at the moment, uh, personally, your own personal opinion, not. Uh, the Korea Tours opinion, but you personally, when do you imagine tourism to North Korea could begin again, realistically? Uh, I have absolutely no idea, but my speculation is that they're going to be the last country to open as they were the first country to close. Mm -hmm. And until China reopens, it's not even uh, a question if mm -hmm. it's going to happen. Also, that other gateway to uh, the DPRK now is very tricky, Russia and Vladivostok. Mm. Yeah. Uh, as far as China is concerned, yeah. some people speculate that they're going to start to think about reopening mm -hmm. in November sometime after the uh, party congress. Ah, okay, so, so the earliest that North Korea could reopen would be 2023. That would be my uh, very optimistic guess. Very optimistic yeah. guess, okay. Uh, and Chad, you had the, the, the guess that, uh, or rather that somebody in the tourism industry said to you, perhaps 10 years from now. 
Yeah, my my guess was uh, 24, 25, something along those lines. Uh, Andre? Exactly. I think that 2023 is too early. 24, 25. And also there is another part in the story. Uh, North Koreans are not that much interested in getting Western tourists anymore. Yes, actually, I was about to, that was my next question. Do you think the North Korean government sees that there are more minuses than pluses? Uh, increasingly likely, uh, because used to be the days when they basically had no alternative and they were quite serious. I would say they were a bit crazy about tourism in their own country. And basically, Westerners were bringing a lot of money uh, because they were willing to pay much more than anybody else. So, well, they were tolerated, even though they asked improper questions and were a bit too free in their behavior, too, too tall, too noisy, everything. But now they have Chinese. And now the Chinese tourism is booming. Mm-hmm. And Chinese, was booming. Yes, was booming. Of course, no, nobody is. Because the same is related to Chinese. I don't think the Chinese will be there until, say, 2025. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if, because they now have Chinese, I think that they are not in a great hurry to get Westerners because Westerners do bring some money, they, but they also bring trouble. And now their money are increasingly insignificant in their tourist income. Now, Greg, that's obviously bad news to you, uh, understandably, and you have a vested interest in pushing back against that mm. narrative. But also the people that you're talking to in North Korea, the, the, the people of whatever the North Korean organization is that handles tourism, uh, is it KITC? Is that right? Well, um, like KITC is our local partner, but right. there are more. That's just a travel agency, and then the NTA, the National Tourist Authority, is the head of tourism to the DPRK. In your conversations and emails and exchanges with them, mm. do you get any sense that they are sometimes having a, a hard time convincing other North Korean ex- uh, officials that we have to continue with this this experiment with tourism with Westerners? Um, no. But I, 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 we don't really, so basically, uh, we don't really have much uh, contact now. I mean, it's possible to call, uh, but, you know, it's, uh, uh, there was no uh, feedback to us that uh, uh, what Professor Lankov just said, that uh, uh, yeah. we are not interested anymore, et cetera, et cetera. But also, as far as I know, uh, this is also about the question of normality in a sense that we have to have a tourism industry, we have to have a marathon, we have to have an international uh, film festival because all every other countries have it. So that's a kind of uh, to show to the world that we are also as normal as any other countries. So I'm not sure if their uh, notion about this kind of normality uh, changed, uh, but it's not only about, as far as my understanding goes, about man- money. It's also to show to the outside world that we are just as normal as any other countries and we have everything else what other countries do. Right, but there is that, that point that, uh, that Andre made that uh, Western tourists do misbehave a little bit more, they get a little bit drunker, they do a handstand on, uh, in front of the Kim Il-sung statue and have themselves photographed. That photograph then has to be asked to be deleted by the guide. I've seen that happen. Th- these kinds of things. Although if you could ask any North Korean travel uh, tour guide, they prefer Western tourists over Chinese tourists for a lot of reasons. And the misbehavior, as far as the misbehavior misbe- uh, uh, goes, they consider the Chinese tourists actually yeah, to be I've, more I've misbehaving. Heard of, sorry, spitting, hmm. trashing, and also going Susan. out at nighttime. Suicide. Uh, the, the, what? Oh, yeah, I remember from the uh, hotel. Sosan, yeah, yeah, Sosan yeah. Hotel, from Sosan yeah. Hotel. Yeah, that was like a few years. I remember we did a story about Sorry, that. Sorry, I misheard you. I thought you said suicide for yeah, a moment. Yeah, correct. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was a Chinese tourist that jumped out the window or fell. Well, I can't remember what the details of our story were. Are you sure were. that wasn't the Chinese dealer who worked in the hotel under the Yangakdo Hotel? No, 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 no. It, it happened in Sosan Hotel with oh. a tour group. And actually, it, you know, it, the story, like, no one knows what really happened. Wow. But I've heard something that uh, that's what the Chinese narrative is, that uh, he was suffering from insomnia and stuff, and it all uh, went away in North Korea, and he didn't want to go back to China because he believed that... Oh. Uh, it's somehow, you know, that yeah. he can't sleep again. April 2019. Uh, the, uh, has to do with the location. Oh, that's when I was there. Fell from the 20th floor of the Sosan balcony and died two weeks. Yeah, so we don't... On a marathon? No, 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 no. It was, uh, I think, sometime during the summer. Ah, okay. And now, actually, not now, but like uh, and after that, uh, all uh, window, like all doors for the balconies were closed in okay. Sosan Hotel. Well, that does raise the question of what actually, what's the value in uh, in looking at North Korea? Uh, can't we learn everything we want to know about North Korea from satellite imagery and North Korea produced texts and images? No, no. Uh, being being able to go on the ground, I think, is really important. And you know, if I'd not gone to North Korea as a tourist in two thousand nine, we we wouldn't be sitting here. It's that simple. I got the the bug, if you will, of fascination and interest with North Korea by going there as a tourist, having a really interesting um, itinerary and meeting fascinating people, including North Koreans. And, and, uh, and, you know, I remember vividly my last trip to China, DPRK borderlands in 2013. Uh, Back then, it was still kind of like the wild, wild west compared to what it is now in terms of security. And I remember vividly, like watching sanctions being broken with my very own eyes, with like, um, you know, illicit cargo being wheeled across the bridge and thinking people, this, this, this is so far away from what people in DC think should be the case on the border. And I, I, and I really think it's valuable for so-called North Korea experts and specialists to make the effort to at least see the country from the border or go there. Um, and, you know, there were a handful of DC-based experts that were going there until about 2010, 2011. Things start to change a bit. But, yeah, it's it's really valuable going. You, le- you learn a lot. And um, although this, the, the government there tries to manage uh, the show as much as possible and put its best foot forward, you, you often see things that are unintended or there are unpredictable experiences that take place and you can learn a lot from those things. So, I'm, yeah, that's my view. Andre? Completely agree. Uh, I usually am blacklisted by the Korean side, but sometimes I'm whitelisted. And I'm very happy. Fortunately, it happens from time to time. And uh, every time I go to North Korea, I learn something. Mm-hmm. Because you cannot, through any publications, no matter how much you read, uh, no matter how much you talk to people who are probably far more frank outside North Korea, I'm talking about North Koreans, you cannot feel the place. And even if you are sitting uh, sitting in, your, in a car being surrounded by the Kore- North Korean minders, you still can look at window. And it's extremely, extremely useful for, to understanding what's going on. Now, here in South Korea, when you think about looking across the border into North Korea, the, the most obvious uh, area is uh, the JSA tour to the Peace Village or the Truce Village near Panmunjom. Are those tours uh, operating these days? Uh, they are not operating at the moment and have been very erratic mm. in the last two and a half years due to Asian swine flu concerns and also, of course, coronavirus. Well, but it also it feels like they haven't been running for most of the last four years because even before uh, COVID and and uh, and swine, swine flu, there was that uh, 
special military agreement that removed the border within the JSA, and that kind of put a stop to tours for a while, didn't it? Well, they, yeah, they were going to allow for free-flowing right. movement within the JSA. That never really never worked happened. out. No. Um, so, yeah, it's been a, a bit of a mess, to be honest. So I, I haven't been there, uh, gosh, for a heck of a long time. Uh, Andre, you know, when they take people up on the, the tours to uh, uh, the third tunnel and to, uh, to Panmunjom, uh, they always point over the border there to uh, Gijongdong uh, in the uh, the northern half of the demilitarized zone. And the uh, I remember the, the U.S. soldier guide would always tell us that that's a, a purely propaganda village, a Potemkin village, if you will, and that the the, villi- the buildings are nothing but empty shells. And when they turn the lights on at night, it is clear that there are no floors inside the multi-story buildings because the light becomes fainter as the uh, as it goes down. Is this true? I presume most likely it's true, uh, because until recently it's not the case anymore. Well, it's much less the case, uh, but North Koreans wanted to get good impression. So um, on the DMZ and even on the on border with China, they built all this kind of, uh, well, not necessary fake houses, uh, but houses which were subsidized to look good. Because, say, people in, in China, they basically say that in the villages which can be seen from the Chinese side, they have tiled roofs. Uh, but if you go further deeper, well, tiled roofs are extremely rare. You have all, all kinds of material, including occasion, occasionally thatched roofs. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, and of course, glass and, uh, glassed windows, everything, which until, say, 10 years ago was not usual. We should not forget that period between 2011 and 2017 was a time of a minor economic boom when life in North Korea improved greatly. Uh, but, well, before that, well, even glass window was unusual and they put glasses on window glasses on window the houses which could be seen from china or from north korea from south korea everything so i'm inclined to believe it's really the case but it, but it, but it's not i wouldn't say it's potemkin in the way that you you described the u.s military uh, officers saying mm. like when we were there in may 2021 and i had this 125x optical zoom and i looked at that exact village and i could see people hanging their, their clothes out to dry it looked occupied it didn't look like just fake buildings and they're pretty run down by now like let's mm-hmm. be honest it doesn't look very impressive and just another thing is that the one of the some of the buildings that you see from Odusan in south korea what's really scary is if you go there in winter freezing freezing cold temperatures and i've seen uh windows that just have bits of vinyl flapping so not not even glass in these kind of best foot forward south korea facing locations all of the time Uh, greg do you know anything about gijongdong did you ever see it from the northern side did they ever take you to it or near it no i only seen it from the southern side but you know uh, when you go to the jsa from the south they just give you so many fake information or so many information which is in line with their narrative. Uh, for example, they always refer to Kaesong as the second biggest city in the DPRK. I have absolutely no idea why, except for the fact that, you know, it's not a big city, it looks quite bad, so maybe that's why they want to convince you that, you know, if that's the big, second biggest city, then you can imagine how the rest of the country looks like. Uh, also, on my, I've been to the JSA from the south, uh, like to the Truce Village twice, and I had the DMZ two or uh, three times. Um, the second time when I went to the JSA, we had an American uh, military guide, the first time a Korean one. And even though the narrative changed a lot after 2018, the summit between uh, Kim Jong-un and uh, Moon Jae-in, 
it still uh, serves political purposes, of course. And one of the tourists asked the uh, American uh, military guide if anyone uh, from the south ever defected to the north. And he just straight out said no. When we know that uh, even American soldiers who wanted to escape from being drafted to the, nor uh, to the Vietnamese war uh, went over to the north. Actually, my company's uh, cultural section made a documentary with one of the American defectors. Who over the line with uh, James Dresnock. Yeah, he, he passed away in 2017, I guess, around the, the time I uh, joined Choreo Tours. Mm. So I always try to double check uh, the information I hear on both sides, or triple check even, because, you know, two or three sources. I wonder if, if Koryo has ever requested Gijongdong as a location for a tour. Uh, to be honest, I have no idea. No, that would be, I, I should, uh, next time I talk to, uh, to Simon or Nick, I'll ask that. Uh, so now that South Korea has dropped mandatory mask wearing outdoors, and now that uh, size restrictions for indoor groups at meals, meetings and events are uh, done with for now, uh, I'm interested in, in talking about what is possible. What can we do in terms of looking across the border into North Korea? The JSA tours are still not running. But what, uh, well, of course, Chad, you, you and Andre and I recently, uh, just as recent as last week, went to Pyongyang-do. We looked at North Korea. Uh, that's uh, on the extreme western end of the line, the island that lies closer to the North Korean coast than the South Korean coast. And for our listeners, you'll find episode 234 uh, is all about that trip to Pyongyang-do. What are some other locations in South Korea that are worth seeing that relate to North Korea? Uh, so going from east, you've got Kosong and the uh, Unification Observatory. Um, uh, you, unfortunately, the way the uh, DMZ is designed and some of the mountains that you find in that location, you would think when you look at a map of Korea that you could just go straight across and, and hug the borderline. Right. But you're forced south very quickly, yep. um, and that's unfortunate. But so basically, from from Kosong, it's not till Cholwon mm -hmm. basically that you can get close again to the border, uh. and around there you can visit um, some former Korean Workers' Party headquarters buildings and uh, go to some m mountain summits that look over North Korea, uh, and then going west from there. There's from west west from there. I think is the best part. So. Uh, up the Imjin River, you've got um, Imjin Gak, you've got the the DMZ uh, JSA area if it's open, and then going further west, you get to um, Odusan, which is a good observatory, and then going further west from there, you've got Kangwa, which is a fascinating uh, part of South Korea that mm. has um, very very close proximity to North Korea. There's, there's um, as as little as 500 meters at some point. Right. Um, two kilometers maybe at, at max. And used to go, the Christians used to go and sing Christmas carols every year at Egibong across yeah. the river into uh, whatever village was across the water there. Yeah, and Egibong is a viewing uh, location where you can literally, in one tilt of the head, see uh, Ilsan district of, adjacent to Seoul. Yeah. And you turn around, you've got a North Korean tiny village right. all, all in one pan of your camera or your phone or whatever it is. And then you've, you go west from there, you've got the West Sea Islands, Yonpyeongdo, Pingyeongdo. Uh, so it's a pretty diverse range of, of places that you can go to. And they all have um, their own unique attributes. And, uh, you know, given how, given you can't go to China now, mm. uh, you can't go to North Korea. It's literally the only thing you can do. And I, I've been surprised at how much value i've got out of going to these places i think i've mentioned this before but 
when I arrived in South Korea, I was maybe a bit complacent and just thought, oh, it's probably a waste of time going yeah. to the border, not much you can see, but there is. To go back to your earlier point about uh, on the map, it looks like you might be able to follow the demilitarized zone all the way across, but you pretty quickly have to go south again. We should give a little bit of context here that, as everyone knows, the, uh, the demilitarized zone is two kilometers on either side of the military demarcation line, but south of the demilitarized zone is an area called the civilian control zone or the civilian control area, which varies in width across the, uh, the peninsula from east to west, and that's basically to prevent unauthorized civilian access by South Koreans and foreigners uh, to the demilitarized zone. So uh, uh, depending on where you are in Korea, uh, you may not be able to get more than two or three kilometers close to, uh, to the southern edge of the demilitarized zone. Do you know anything about the, uh, the civilian control zone, Andre? Like when that was, because uh, obviously that's not part of the armistice agreement. That's something that the South Korean government itself decided on its own authority. Was that be prompted by huge numbers of people trying to get across the, the border? Or? No, the, from, from the military, it was largely military considerations. My understanding is that it's it definitely existed in the 1960s, and I think it was established immediately after the armistice or soon after the armistice. And the idea was you have a control over this territory. So first of all, if you have some kind of uh, infiltrators coming from the north, they are easy to locate. Mm-hmm. They have limited development in this area, roads and everything is designed, all plans are designed with kind of military considerations in mind. Uh, so basically, it's not, you, you are not going to see good roads there. And only a small number of civilians who used to live there, they still live there. there they get some government subsidies because otherwise life would be extremely uncomfortable. But they just don't want a lot of outsiders to hang around. They don't want North Korean infiltrators to basically easy, easily mix with this crowd. And, of course, they don't want to develop this area to provide good roads for the North Korean tanks in case of war. Right. Actually, uh, in the Chowan area, I was turned back by the rock military twice mm. because the Kako map doesn't recognize the civil <laughs> limit line. And we were uh, trying to go to the, the, uh, the Chorwon tour site. And the easiest way was through the civil, the, through the behind the civil limit line. Sure. And we showed up at the... like. Do you wait a gate or like a checkpoint? Mm-hmm. And we return back twice. Yeah, I went there years ago to uh, that building that, that Chad referred to, the uh, the Korean Workers' Party shell. I mean, it's it's really nothing but a concrete shell that's left there after the uh, being destroyed or severely damaged in the Korean War. But it used to be because you know the um, the demilitarized zone now is not the same line as the 38th parallel. So in some parts it's north and some parts it's south. So in in Choron, that used to be North Korea until 1950. And now it's in South Korea after 1953. And so you've got this shell of a building. And in order to go there, you have to go into that civilian control zone. And they have very strict rules about how you can get in there. So you can't go there on foot and you can't go there by bicycle or by motorbike. You have to be in a closed door vehicle. So uh, the only way that I was able to get in there about a decade ago was to rent a taxi for the whole afternoon, which was you know, at that time around 50 to 60,001. And he would have to go with us uh, the whole way from the beginning to the end. And he had a special pass. Uh, to go into the civilian control area. So, Greg, tell us about your uh, adventure that you've got planned. Oh, so it's going to be a 10-day long tour visiting uh, both the East Coast and the West Coast and some important uh, sites in Seoul. Uh, But it will be a little bit beyond the theme, the Seoul tour. So basically, on the first weekend, we're going to visit uh, the East Coast, 
uh, Kosong, um, there's a observation desk, or yeah, there's, there's an observ observation desk and the DMZ museum, which is, I think I would say it's a, a world-class museum there. Mm -hmm. And you can see uh, over to Kungangsan area. And also what's really interesting that when you actually uh, cross the uh, civilian limit line uh, to go into the uh, Tongil Observatory, you can see, you can still see the custom house, which was built for South Korean tourists when in the early, early 2000s, it was possible to visit a special uh, tourist zone in Kungang. The overland tours to the Kungang tourism zone. Yeah. yeah, they took people through there, and you got a. It wasn't this. Was it a stamp in the passport? It felt like it might have been a. They certainly looked at your passport. Uh, I did that in two thousand six. There might have been a stamp in the. Uh, I don't think so because officially none of the sides recognize the division of Korea. I guess so. You cannot. But I you are not crossing a border, essentially, right? My that wife's is, that uncle. Is not true. My wife's uncle showed me. It's like a little paper insert. Ah, the paper insert. That, yeah, maybe that gets stamped. When, when you go to the immigration office, uh, you can actually request a document that shows mm. every time you left and entered uh, South Korea. Uh, and in my case, that goes back to 1996. So I have a copy of this document with every coming and going in the last 25 years. And there is the record of me leaving South Korea to go to Kumgangsan. Oh. But for some reason, there is not the record of my having come back from Kumgangsan. So it looks like I left one more time than I entered. Which is weird. So there's a bit of a glitch in the computer system there. But it does actually show your leaving South Korea to go well, to Kumgangsan on that document. I never left Kosovo, actually, from the Kosovo point of view. The what? I never left Kosovo. So basically, uh, my, my father was, well, my stepmother was working in Kosovo. Ah. And oh, I right, entered right, right. by plane and I exited by road. I see, I see. And I have, I have an exit stamp, I have an entry stamp to Kosovo, but no exit stamp because gotcha. the Serbians don't recognize the border. Right. Greg, to go, so go back to you. Yeah. Um, are there interesting sites that you see differently from the South Korean side compared to the North Korean side? I'm thinking specifically mm. uh, in the North Korean side, they like to take tourists to look at the concrete wall or the evil yep. concrete barrier. Uh, and on South Korea, uh, it's often ignored, but you can go to the Pyonghua or Peace Dam. Uh, I think it's the same thing. Tell us about that. There is definitely something there. Uh, and my understanding is, because, for example, when you visit the JSA, mm -hmm. you will go under a kind of a bridge, but the local guide here will point out that it's an anti-tank barrier. And I would assume that that's part of the, the, the installment, uh, which you can see from the North Korean side. They, they like to tell it in North Korea as if it was a single concrete barrier mm. from east to west. Oh, Andre? Ah, yes, it's what they're saying, but it's not true. Uh, because basically what they show is a part of anti-tank anti defenses, ah. which is, yes, it's a kind of a very large trench uh, with a kind of nearly vertical walls, which are covered with uh, some kind of cement and concrete mm -hmm. and maybe bricks, I don't know, I think concrete. And if you are looking from outside, from long distance, it does look like a wall, but it's not wall. But what about the, uh, the peace dam, which was built by, I think, the John Dewan administration yes. to prevent possible flooding from flooding, North yeah, Korea. Yeah, because they were building a large dam in their territory and a reservoir, and there were kind of there were worries that in case of war they can just use this water to flood mm. a significant part of the North Korean territory along the Han along the Han River. The South Korean so, territory. South you, Korean, yes. yes, South Korean territory along the Han River. So the idea was to have a kind of empty, dry reservoir which will 
in such a case, accept this water, that basically hold this water, preventing a major flood. Right. So basically what I said is then true that what they claim as the concrete for is yeah. the anti-tank barrier, what yes. we yes. see here on the MC tours here. Which is nowhere near as long as they say it is. It, it, yeah. it doesn't stretch all the way across the, uh, the peninsula. And then yeah. and the rest is just like the name, the question of naming something. It's more like a semantic debate than anything else, like naming. Like about naming. Mm -hmm. What other things out there that look different from North Korea and South Korea or are described differently uh, or have a different appearance? Different appearance? Phew, it's a good question. Um, I'm trying to think if... Well, the obvious one is the joint security area. Yeah. My experience going in the, from the northern side oh, yeah. compared to the south, southern side, especially during the Park and Hay administration, was entirely opposite. Uh, I remember being given a black and white sheet of terms and conditions on the South Korean side, mm -hmm. telling me I had to basically wear a suit, um, be extremely quiet, not wave towards the North Koreans. Uh, yet on the North Korean side, you could basically have a cigarette and be wearing shorts, wave at people. Yeah, it's very liberal there, I would say. Yeah, it's quite a different approach. Uh, and also, uh, it's more accessible from the Northern side, actually. I've been to the DPRK, 27 times I visited the JSA 24 or 25 times and it was never cancelled it was always possible to go there while here uh, on the, the first time I visited the JSA our bus was not allowed into the uh, Blue Hunt the bus in front of us was mm. and uh, the officer on ground just decided that the second uh, group cannot enter the Blue Hut for any re some reason uh, the second time I went there, it was fine, and that's when actually the whole narrative changed as a result of the meeting between Moon Jae-in and uh, Kim Jong-un. And then on the third uh, time, the whole uh, JS, like the DMZ tour happened, but the JSA visit was cancelled. Yeah, it's, so, not, it's not a reliable place to go. Exactly. And just to bring it back to uh, the, the trip that we're planning with yes. with Greg. So just for listeners, uh, we, we started talking about this just about five, 10 minutes ago. And we are, yeah, we, we, we're collaborating with Greg on a tour to see the, in, basically all the places we've been describing along the inter-Korean border. And uh, not only is it a, a great opportunity to, to visit these places up close and personal, but we're also bringing various specialists and experts along uh, i'll be there dr lankov is coming along there's a few other jacko you'll be there in fact as oh, well for, for part, part of it and yeah the idea is to give people who are uh interested in north korea kind of like hands-on way to get close to the country and also to network and exchange ideas with people that have been following the country for many decades in some cases mm. this is september 23rd to october 2nd and the tour is called uh, North Korea from a near distance. I like that great title. Mm -hmm. so tell us a bit more, uh, Greg, about some of the sites that people will see that are not near or on the demilitarized zone. Like, what do you see in Seoul, for example? Uh, yep. Uh, just one, one more thing about the actually, which is uh, connected to North Korea as mm. well. I, if you go to Chorwon uh, on the Chorwon tour, you go to train station Woljogri, which, if you've been to North Korea and to Wonsan, then you will feel the, the, the similarity and the, like the, how it was like one country before. Mm -hmm. Because if you visit the Wonsan uh, railway station, revolutionary site in uh, Wonsan, that's exactly on the same line as uh, Woljongri station. As that's, that's the last, that used to be the last right, so uh, train the, station. The Chongwon line from Seoul to Wonsan, wasn't it? Or am I thinking? Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah, okay. That's so that an interesting parallel where the two stations are in two different careers but look almost identical. 
Yep. And it was built by the Japanese, so... Yeah, that, they, they got no that surprise. history. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so in Seoul, uh, we're going to visit the War Memorial of Korea. Mm. Uh, I've still not been there, believe it or not. Really? I've been living here for six years. It's, it's worth, it's, it's worth it, a visit. Well, I'll it's, be going. <laughs> and, and there it, are some similarities again, like the... the, the uh, I, pardon me, but I forgot the name of the ship which was sunk in 2002. Uh, so basically, the boat is there. And, you know, there was a fight between the Rock Navy and the DPRK Navy. Yeah. And the holes are, so there are ballot holes on it, and it's all circled with the red uh, uh, paint. Mm-hmm. So it's exactly the same how the North Koreans uh, put Pueblo, USS Pueblo yeah. at the War uh, Museum in Pyongyang on show. So even the, the presentation is very similar in a way. So we're going to visit the War Memorial. We're going to visit the Museum of uh, Modern History which is right next to the U.S. Embassy, US embassy which mm. is on the ugliest building in Seoul. Uh, but the museum itself is really interesting because, uh, from my point of view, is because you can see how, uh, North, uh, how South Korea developed after 1953 and what a long uh, journey they took through dictatorships, coup d'etats, etc., et until they became one of the most... Uh, democratic nations mm. in uh, Asia and one of the most developed nations. Uh, we're also going to have an optional hike on the Seoul uh, city wall, uh, which is a pretty tough hike because there are some very steep steps, but it's not only interesting from uh, the fact that it was built during the Joseon dynasty, but also you can come across a tree mm. uh, which still has the gal- bullet shots uh, from the Blue House infiltration in- incident. January 1968. as well? Yeah. Uh, the the so Kim Shinjo Trail. They used to call it. Actually, they named it the trail after the the only surviving North Korean commander, who I think is still alive today, became I a be, Presbyterian have, minister but retired. I have not heard about him dying. Yeah. He's not very old, frankly. Okay. So I think he's maybe late seventies something. Right. So that trail, which was only reopened for civilian tourism in two thousand four or two thousand five, mm-hmm. seven. Oh, I'm not sure, but it's Recently, on the itinerary. Yeah. yeah. For decades, you couldn't go there. You still have to show a passport to get in there. I think, don't no, you? No, 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 not anymore. So oh, well, that's a big basically change. now there mm. is like so there are uh, CCTV cameras all around, yeah. and uh, uh, barbed fence, and o- and also you get a, a card basically. Uh, so there's a gate mm-hmm. uh, at the start of the trail at the, at the end of the trail. Yeah. So they make sure that as many people as entered mm-hmm. will exit. But they don't but make you show an ID. No, nothing. Hmm. It just you get there's this magnetic card. Wow. You enter through the gate. Oh, you keep it with yourself. And then you uh, exit by presenting that card, and then it's just a headcount. Yeah, but it's, it's it's you know it's a high security area because it's yep. r- right behind the blue house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pro- it won't be a problem anymore. So I the guess. blue, yeah, the blue house is going to be unoccupied. For, well, yeah, from next week. We'll be able yeah, to go to the blue house very soon. Yeah. It starts his tenure. Yeah. Now, are there any museums in in South Korea where North Korean stuff is on display? I know that uh, yep. in the sixties and seventies there was the anti-communist building here in Kwanghwamun that had its own materials, uh, its own uh, exhibit. And then in the 1990s, the Ministry of Unification had a North Korean materials room also in Kwanghwamun where you could look at uh, everything from candies to aspirin to shirts made in North Korea. But that's now gone. So what is there now that we can look at in Seoul? At the DMZ uh, in Seoul? Yeah. Are you, gonna, uh, you mean the one that's up at Imjinguk? Uh, Imji, no, and also Odusan has uh, some South, uh, North Korean-made uh, uh, stuff. Also, right. the DMZ Museum. Yeah, DMZ in Museum Kosong. has the, has, yeah, has, one, has all the propaganda flyers, which is really right, interesting. A, that to is look one at. of my favorite parts. So but, yeah. but also, they, I think they have some 
or it's maybe Odusan. They have goods made from uh, Kesong exactly, yeah. KIC complex from back in the day. Um, and as listeners to this podcast always know, there are lots of North Korean things you can find on the beach. On the beach, yeah. <laughs> and there is also a shop selling uh, products. For, well, there yeah, was well, a shop yeah. selling products from Kesong in Anguk, very short walk from here. And also, um, which is a very interesting story from a sanctions perspective, when you swing up to Kosong, and also, uh, in fact, some parts are north of Seoul, there are mm-hmm. some gift shops that are still selling yep. genuine North Korean products, uh, liquor, liquor. Uh, banknotes, mm-hmm. um, more liquor. Agricultural and, products, was like dried uh, grains and rice yeah, and beans and uh, things. Uh, yeah, but the, 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 the reality is all of this, uh, the only legal way this stuff can be here is mm-hmm. if it was imported before the yeah. May 24th measures of uh, the Im Young-bak administration. Which is already going back 2012 12 years. Yeah, yeah 2010, um, after the so of the China. pretty antique stuff, yeah. but um, I can assure you that at least the alcohol does its job. Right, buyer beware. And uh, also, uh, actually, when we first met uh, Jacko in uh, 2018, December, mm-hmm. uh, that's when there was an exhibition about uh, uh, DPRK uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. Then uh, Nick Bonner's book was uh, published about uh, how the labels changed over the years. Right. And I brought in two suitcases of North Korean-made products yes. uh, to put it on show at the exhibition. That was at the Dongdaemun Design Plaza, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. But but that exhibition is no longer it's there. It's no longer there, yeah. Right, so th- it's hard to find a, uh, what do you call it, a permanent exhibition. Now, there are um, there is at the National Library down in Socho, south of Seoul, there is a North Korean materials room with you know every newspaper and book almost ever made in North Korea and some videos and stuff, but it's not really an easy site to get into. You have to uh, show, again show your passport and register for the library first, and then separately for the North Korean materials room. And because some materials are classified as tukup uh, or tuksu jario, special materials, you have to have special uh, permission just to look at that stuff as well. So it's really interesting that. There aren't many places to look at North Korean stuff in South Korea. I'm sure there are no places in North Korea to look at South Korean stuff. Am I right? RGB offices, maybe? Reconnaissance well, they, General but, Bureau? But they won't be taking tourists there. <laughs> no. yeah, that's not open to the public. And, and that leads me to the question of to what extent are South Korean civilians interested in looking at or looking into North Korea or things from North Korea? Greg you've, uh, or Andre? Well, it depends on age. Uh, people who are, say, in their, say, late 40s, or more likely early 50s and up, they are interested. Because the older generation, they still have some memory of Korea being uh, one country. Some of them, not many, but some of them have relatives in North Korea or somehow related, so they have something personal about it. On top of that, the older people, say 70 and more, they were growing under influence of very intense anti-communist propaganda, so they see North Korea as, you know, North Koreans as their brothers and sisters to be liberated from the evil communist regime. Not always, but very often. And then we have next generation, 50 to 70, who were growing under the influence of their radical left slash nationalist propaganda. Uh, they briefly believed how difficult it's, it's now difficult to believe that they did believe briefly uh, that North Korea is superior to South Korea because they swallowed wholesale the propaganda messages from 
from the north and they were very skeptical about everything South Korean. It's gone, but they have some sort of residual sympathy or at least interest. But if you are talking about younger generation below, say, 45, well, not much interest. And the younger somebody is, the less he or she is interested in North Korea. It's increasingly seen as just a foreign country, which by some twist of history uh, is using a, a strange dialect of Korean as its main language. Last week, I went to meet my uh, my wife's nephew, who uh, just came out of the South Korean military. He spent uh, a year and a bit, maybe a year and a half, uh, in the army in Choron. And so I said to him, oh, did you see the Korean Labor Party building in Choron? And he said, what? Yeah. And he didn't seem too curious. But I, I brought up the photograph in Google. I said, this. And he looked at it and said, no, I never saw that. <laughs> And again, didn't seem too curious to know any more about that. So I think you're absolutely right. that it, it's Even if you're in the military, even if you're based in Choron, even if North Korea is your main enemy, uh, there's still a, a, a lack of, of desire to see more or well, to know it, more. It's weird because, yeah, I, I've often sort of pointed a finger at South Korea for that. And here I am. I, I have an Irish passport. My family are from Ireland. I've never once been to Northern Ireland. I've never wanted to go. Hmm. Uh, I would like to go now, but, you know, I'm... 38 now and to be to have yeah too old you passed it Jack. yeah i don't and quite a lot of my family members haven't been there or wanted to go there um I, maybe it's just a similar kind of psychology <laughs> yeah none of my south korean acquaintances who are the same age as me get super excited about the fact that i've been to north korea but mm-hmm. i they don't that i kind of studied there however the first time i went to the dprk and i posted that okay it's one week from now then someone who is around my age, we met, we met in Israel, we were working in a kibbutz actually. There's quite a few Koreans working in yeah, volunteering a, in the Israeli kibbutz yeah. team. I've heard that. So basically, uh, he just uh, sent a line that like, oh, it, uh, it's so uh, strange that I'm a Korean and I cannot go and you are not Korean and you can go. Mm-hmm. And then uh, once I put up uh, photos after uh, on Instagram after I went on the uh, helicopter chopper tour over Pyongyang, and then he just said that, like, okay, I never imagined that Pyongyang was so developed, mm. but that's it. And he knew that I'm in, in, in Seoul. Uh, he, he knows that I live here, and he never reached out to, you know, to get more information about it. But whenever I went to Dandong, I always came across with uh, South Korean tour groups, but yeah, they are the older generation. And also, uh, as well as, like, our uh, overseas Korean tourists go, I can't remember, I can't, remember only one tourist who was our generation. Most of them are uh, 40 plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so how can people join this tour if they're interested? Chad, Greg? Um, well, if they, the simplest way, if they go to nknews.org, there's an a advertisement on the sidebar of the website, um, which basically has a, an image of some people looking across the border. Just click that and fill out the details. Um, we're only taking 20 people with us. Keep it nice oh. and intimate. Um, I think half, That's half a tour bus. Yep, and half the spots have basically gone already. So um, yeah, eleven uh, yeah, spots remaining as of mm. now. Yeah, if you're keen to come and spend some time with, uh, in fact, all four of us. Yeah, um, I'd urge you to to book, and we're really looking forward to it. Um, Ten days uh, from late September to early October. Yeah, it's something a bit different for us, um, but you know, I've I've become, if you've been listening to this podcast, quite. Um, you know, fascinated by going to all these web, uh, websites, places, yeah. and just thought it'd be great to to share them. You know, and I know Greg thinks the same. And um, yeah, we we look forward to. Oh, one the other thing that we didn't mention is besides all the basic of the uh, the itinerary, we'll also be doing a, 
a dinner at least I think almost every day with mm. an outside specialist within our network. So we're we're bringing in a really wide cast of characters to to like brief guests each evening on different aspects of DPRK, inter-Korean relations, and South Korea. Uh, is this the future of North Korea tourism if North Korea doesn't open for the next ten years? You know, I guess it is because there's no there's no other option. I mean, the only only thing you could do is sail a boat along the coast from 12 miles. Or go to China if China opens, but as Professor Lanko pointed out, it's quite hard I, now. And it looks unlikely that China will relax in the border yep. area anytime soon. So it's... And, and to be honest, that's, that's quite, I mean, quite depressing as a general point of discussion because mm. it... For anyone researching North Korea, it just means that if, if we do have another 10 years of this, the amount of organically sourced primary information from inside DPRK is going to really be very low. And that has a lot of negative consequences for any of us trying to better understand the country. I, I worry quite a lot about that. That is a concern. I have to find a new research topic for my PhD. <laughs> Are there any uh, other sites that you would like to have included on the tour but couldn't because of time or distance? It's more like about the restrictions to, the, to go to the GSA right now. Mm, that would be, yeah. That's, um, that's the, the one that's un, there's uncertainty about. Pingyongdo, I guess, uh, that's not on the itinerary, but uh, it's a long, you know, long way. Four, four hours on ferry there, six hours back yeah, for us. It's, yeah. too, it's too much travel. See, I was thinking Kojado would be a fun part uh, for the history of the... Uh, you know, I, I can't remember, Andre, if you, how many North Korean prisoners of war were interned on Kojedo throughout the Korean I, War. I, a few tens, it was basically in tens of thousands. Yeah, tens of thousands. Yeah. Tens of thousands. And they had a little, um, they had a, a little riot there and they took over the they, prison. They, One North Korean of, uh, official from the, the Workers' Party deliberately allowed himself to get captured so he could go into the camp and help to take over. Yes, and basically it was not a small riot, it was a big riot. It was a big riot. Uh, because they essentially established control over the camp. Yeah. And it was pretty, I mean, basically American side did not care that much right. as long as these people were within the fences. Uh, but it was a kind of little uh, North Korea. Yeah. And of course, it was also the location of uh, where all the refugees from the Hamhung, uh, Hungnam evacuation ended up. They ended up in Kojido, which is where uh, President Moon was born. His parents were from Hungnam. Can you go to Shilmido? Ah, oh, the island from uh, where they trained the North, mm. the South Koreans to go back as revenge for the North Korean uh, yeah. in 1968. Can you go to Shilmido? That's right know. by Incheon Airport. You, and you fly over it when you're landing at Incheon, you sometimes see it. But it's a very small island. I don't know if it's even up. I believe it's well, it's possible to to visit it. Mm -hmm. I believe so. I'm not sure, but I believe it's possible. Yeah. I should also point out that Kojado is where uh, Kim Yong Sam, late president's uh, mother, was killed by North Korean incursion in the 1960s. I think so. A lot of history there, but it is very very far from the demilitarized zone. It would take quite a lot of time to get down to Kojado. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> long trip. Well, uh, I mean, obviously the big place that would be great to be able to go were all the sites that South Koreans used to be able to go. So Kaesong, Kumgangsan, actually yes. going into the, you know, those inter-Korean tourist spots. Um, I remember reading columns by, by Lankov years ago about those spots and the beneficial effects they had on on uh, ordinary North Koreans, but maybe the North Koreans read that and changed their mind. Uh, yes, probably, <laughs> but talking about Kaesong, it's pretty isolated. It used to be kind of ghetto for the rich South Koreans and uh, probably the damage was real but relatively small. Mm. Uh, but judging by the recent developments we have, I would say 
I don't expect it to see it revived at all. I should mm. say anytime soon. I would say never. Well, nothing is forever, of no, course. But not in your but lifetime. Yes, yeah, not in my lifetime. What about karma? Because that's for the South Korean tourists, obviously. Uh, you, you, you were talking about the, the beach out there in Wonsan? Yes. yes. Yes, a big conference. I think it will be more likely used by the Chinese because we have a kind of dead-end situation. The UN Security Council resolutions make any kind of economic interaction, including tourism, which is not necessarily banned, but you have to send money, you have to mm. get money, you have to move stuff around. And because of the UN Security Council resolutions, it's very difficult. For you South Koreans special, to go there. Yes, yeah. yeah. You need special exceptions, but uh, it's not easy to arrange. It will be a massive headache. And on top of that, when we are talking about Kaesong tourist, uh, sorry, uh, Kimgan tourist zone, we overlook one important fact. It was essentially a money-losing enterprise for most of its mm. history. Mm. And in 2001, it nearly went back bankrupt. It was saved by the government mm. who could not afford to see a flagship of the North-South cooperation basically sinking financially. Uh, so they introduced a great deal of indirect assistance like special subsidies for a uh, number of people who wanted to go on tours, everything. It's expensive. Actually, it's expensive. And young South Koreans are not that terribly not that interested yeah. in going to get for the amount mm. of money we, you will have few days somewhere in Vietnam or Thailand or Guam. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking that because the JSA, the truce village is uh, not open at the moment, not accessible, uh, there is somewhere, or there was, uh, in Kyonggi province, maybe in Namyangju, a mini uh, JSA tourist oh, yeah. uh, for the for the movie, right? Is yeah. that still open for for visits? That would be perhaps interesting to, <laughs> that's to been, add to it. That's been featured head. in a lot of movies, right? Yeah, you can add that to a future iteration of the tour, <laughs> perhaps, Greg. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show today, Andre, Chad, and Greg. And good luck with your tour in September, North Korea, from a near distance. I'm glad to be part of the. Uh, am I on the East Coast or the West Coast part, Chad? Uh, East Coast. East Coast, fantastic. Gosong, I love going out there. So do check that out, ladies and gentlemen, on the NK News website. It'll be September 23rd to October 2nd, a 10-day exclusive tour uh, partnering between NK News and Greg himself. Yep. Yep, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you once again. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, if you already have an NK News subscription, take a look at our NK Pro platform, which offers unparalleled services specifically catered to the needs of professionals who monitor developments on the Korean Peninsula. You can inquire about access and a free trial at membership at nknews.org today. And for feedback, questions, or guest recommendations, please send them to podcast at nknews.org. Our thanks, as always, to Arias Dare and Brian Betts for facilitating the podcast and to Gabby Magnuson, our post-recording producer genius. Thanks, and listen again next time.